What's up, everybody? I'm Sam Graham Felsen. I'm Avi Klein. And you're listening to Hey Man, the advice podcast for men. Our guest this week is Jason Rosario. Jason's the creator of the Yahoo web series, Dear Men. Uh, he is also the director of the creative agency, The Lives of Men. And he's recently started his own podcast, Hey Jason, which discusses race and masculinity. Hope you enjoy the episode. So Jason, I, I feel like it would be helpful. Maybe can you orient people a little bit to like who you are what and what you've been doing lately? Because I know you've been you've done like a lot of different stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I like to refer myself as somewhat of a multi hyphenate uh-huh. um, because there I do a, a lot of different things, but it's all grounded in this work of masculinity and manhood and trying to figure out what that is and what that means in this current landscape that we're living in. But by way of background, my background's in finance. Mm-hmm. I, I like to joke that I'm a reformed finance guy because uh-huh. I left my job in investment banking, real estate finance in early 2017 when I launched the brand The Lives of Men, uh, which is which is dedicated to be a resource to men, particularly men of color, uh, as we navigate manhood. And um, since then, the, the world has just kind of flipped upside down in, in terms of just opportunities and things that I've been involved in. Um, so... When I launched the brand, it was pre-Me Too, pre-Trump, or actually right after Trump, because um, I'd started to conceive the idea for it uh, mid-2016, but I launched in 2017, so it kind of just started happening. And, and it just felt like the right time, because in large part, what was happening in my personal life was that I was becoming this, I just was increasingly unfulfilled at work, um, part, coupled with the fact that I was kind of always on this journey um, of, of self-discovery, self-recovery. And I felt like I needed to give myself medicine that I needed, you know, growing up without a father and, and growing up in the inner city, all of those things just kind of converged. And I, I felt like I was looking for things in my life that just didn't exist or at least didn't, weren't readily available. I'm always curious just about like, uh, I don't know, like what, what did you start to, how did you start to figure that out for yourself? Cause I feel like yeah. when you're not feeling you don't feel good in some way, but what you grab onto, uh, everyone. Usually, what we do is we have a drink when we don't feel good. <laughs> yeah. At least that's right, what I do. Right. Yeah, yeah. How did but you, you know, but that that's a good point because till that point in my life, right? I, I can't pinpoint the moment, mm-hmm. but uh, but I was tired of doing that, right? The mm-hmm. numbing and you know the drinking or the distractions, we'll we'll call it that. Uh, but yeah, I was just tired of that and I was getting to a point in my life where I was like look I I want more and there's something else and I think I've been really very blessed to be in in raised by a woman who's been very present you know spiritually and kind of just really always looking for more and searching and and finding ways to go deeper within so just being a son of of her son was a byproduct of why I wanted to to look for more and um, so I wanted to create this platform. I didn't know what it was going to be or what it was, where it was going to go, but I created it. And then you fast forward, Me Too happens, right? The, the landscape changes. And then it's just like, okay, now is the perfect time for this, right? For this conversation to take place. So you fast forward to, from 2017 to all the way through 2017, I kind of started to do this work, uh, started to do workshops. I became a, a DOE, Department of Education vendor, and created a curriculum that I started to deliver in New York City high schools with young men, um, and then started working with companies around diversity and inclusion, 
and then connected with Yahoo uh, and, and wound up with my own show. And Avi, you were my first guest. Yeah. Um, so my own show called Dear Men that kind of was an offshoot of these conversations around masculinity. And then now, I'm, uh, and we were talking offline, it's just my, my work has evolved to really exploring ways to create not only physical spaces for men to have these conversations, but thinking about the way forward and, and what is what are the tactical steps for men that we need to take um, or that we can take to inform kind of how we're going to redefine masculinity. And I hate to use that phrase because it's so overused, but, you know, really, what is the what is the way forward? So I'm spending a lot of time thinking about that right now. Um, <clears throat> I know that part of the impetus for you starting the lives of men was particularly in 2016, the stuff that was happening in the news around just this spate of uh, police shootings of, yeah. of unarmed um, men of color. And um, the first thing that struck me, because we just met for the first time today. Um, like 30 seconds ago. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but you're, you're a tall guy. How tall are you? 6'4". You're 6'4". You are, you, you present to the world as a black man. And um, I just wonder, I mean, there's so many things I want to ask you about, but um, walking around in the world as somebody who is, you know, not only physically, because you're literally physically imposing no matter what color you yeah, are, yeah. but knowing that, um, you know, so much of the, the this country in particular, so many people in this country perceive you as menacing or threatening just on the basis of what you look like. And I'm just trying to, you know, imagine um, just feeling fearful based on what was happening in the news, you know, yeah. not just in 2016, but obviously it's happening constantly, mm -hmm. but also just feeling like what it must feel like for other people to be fearful of you. Yeah. <laughs> Even when obviously talking to you for 30 seconds, you're clearly a very warm, you know, yeah. friendly, welcoming person. But there's that assumption that you must have to deal with your whole life that people are assuming, you know, that, that you're the opposite of that. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for bringing that up because that's so relevant to, uh, my work and and why I, I'm doing what I'm doing. So, and a, a quick anecdote. So, if you remember Terrence Crutcher when he was shot, uh, there was a police officer a hundred feet up in the air in the helicopter, and the officer made an observation looking down a hundred feet below him or her. I don't remember if it was he or her that Terrence Crutcher looked like a bad guy or a bad dude. Mm -hmm. uh, the guy was six foot four, over two hundred pounds, very similar to me in terms of build. And that resonated with me because it's like, wow, does that is that the perception of someone like me who's walking down the street, whether I'm wearing a suit or wearing all black and jeans and whatever, what is, how do people perceive me? The other thing is, is that this is something that I've always been aware of since I can remember as a young man growing up, knowing that me walking into a room physically, you have to make room for me physically and energetically, whether, whether you realize it or not. And in order to combat the, the discomfort in that with me in terms of making friends and, and relating to other people, I sometimes physically shrunk myself, mm -hmm. right? Like whether it was my shoulders or I consider myself somewhat of a, a soft-spoken person. So being mindful of that, uh, making sure that I, I'm careful in terms of my tone because me speaking passionately, passionately about something can be perceived as me being angry. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten that a lot. It's just like, you know, Jason, relax. But I'm like, no, I'm relaxed. I'm just talking about <laughs> something that I feel very passionate about. So that's that's such a relevant um, point that you bring up. And, and I'm grateful that you brought it up because that informs a lot of the way that I move around, around the world. And I think, I mean, 
uh, in no way can I relate to what it feels like to be um, a, a person of color. Um, uh, but but I do know what it's like to be a man, obviously. Yeah. And and I'm I'm six feet. Um, I've weighed for much of my adult life over 200 pounds. I don't now, but I have. I'm I'm a relatively big guy, and um, <clears throat> and I'm conscious that you know when I'm on the subway late at night and there's a woman, like I can tell that there's a sense of just unease a lot of the time. And, um, and I don't know. And, 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 and even that just like little taste of like people viewing me as a potential victimizer, like that just feels terrible. You know what I mean? And, and I just have a tiny taste of it, but, um, but I think a lot of men, um, you know, feel that way. And, um, I don't know. That's, that's something that like, we, we don't talk explicitly that much about it on the show, but it is something that, um, we, we do talk about and think about just like, um, what it, what it feels like to be part of this, you know, the 50% of the population that is known as the aggressor and, and the victimizer. Well, le- less than 50%. That's true. There, right. there are more women yeah. in the world than there are men. Right. Sure. But we're, but we're that part of the population yeah. that is, um, that is seen often justifiably because often we are the victimizers, you know. Right. But it, but it, I don't know. That's that's just something I've I've struggled with. You a just lot. you yeah. just learn how to you, you learned how to develop disarming mechanism and techniques, right? Whether it's a smile, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, opening your body in a way where it's it seems and it looks receptive and warm. I mean, that's just that's just what we have to learn. Do you ever about. feel not to stick on this point for too long? But do you ever feel? Um, doesn't that ever feel frustrating though to like have to? Um, I mean, on the one hand, I know that um, from listening to you on other podcasts that, you, that you're a meditator, mm-hmm. you you are cultivating um, gentleness and um, and openness and kindness. That's that's part of what we do when we meditate um, and mindfulness, presence in, um, in a situation. And so it's good to be soft-spoken. It's good to be gentle. It's mm-hmm. good to allow space for other people. But is there a, isn't it also sometimes frustrating just to... Um, feel like oh you have to be on point all the time like you like there's almost something unrelaxing about like knowing that you you have to watch yourself you know what i mean mm-hmm. i don't know that's just that's just something it that, is yeah. it is and yeah. i'm sure we can get into it but that's that's <laughs> yeah. something that it's um it becomes too normal yeah unfortunately i had you know this is uh, it's been on my mind all week actually not to turn this into my personal therapy session but um i actually i had this experience with uh, a client of mine this week where I I said something that was sort of, it felt a little vulnerable for me just sharing uh, with this person about how um, moved I was to be witnessing their experience. And uh, they laughed. They laughed because I said it in a very, you know, my voice is like, is like a verging on, mon- like can be kind of flat. And the incongruity between what I was saying and the tone of it um, was, uh, made them laugh and, and I felt, and I felt really embarrassed by it. And it's just been, I've just been kind of like chewing over it all day and just thinking about my voice. And, uh, and I've realized that like, I kind of like have tightened my voice, you know, like I, I've tightened my capacity to express myself. I've, I just like, I remember what you said about like being loud and like people thinking you're angry. I, rem- I have, I have my own experiences as like a young teenager and I was just like, Okay, I'm just not gonna do that anymore. Yeah, you know, I'm just gonna like stop, just limit my range. Right. You know, it's funny because I'm I'm uh, kind of the opposite. <laughs> yeah, I I uh, I grew up um, 
kind of uh, often, I think, shrinking, hunching my shoulders, doing the kind of stuff that you were talking about. Um, and uh, and I always felt like, you know, may, maybe like overcompensating being gentle or um, non-threatening um, because I didn't I didn't want to have conflict with other people. And and I'm realizing now that I think to some degree I was repressing a lot of anger that I had. And now, unfortunately, sometimes it comes out. And like, I think of myself as a gentle guy, but I'm like, uh oh, like there's actually ungentle stuff brewing inside me yeah. probably, you know, because I had too much um, suppressing it throughout my life. But anyway, that, yeah. that's a lot of heady stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jason, something I wanted to ask you about, which I just, something Sam and I talk a lot about is like, like dealing with our senses of failure. Um, Sam has talked a lot about like his disappointment. He published his first novel um, last year. Yeah. Last year? So it feels like so long ago already. It was the first day of 2018. So was it really? It was January, well, it was January 2nd, 2018. Yeah. And like, and the expectations of that and it not, not realizing your, your big expectations for it. Yeah, I, I failed to win the Nobel Prize yeah. in literature overnight. So. <laughs> but it, it yeah, was hard yeah, for you, and yeah. I've had I have moments like that. Anytime I publish anything, I'm like, "This is going to be amazing," and it's like mm-hmm. it may or may not do pretty well. And um, and you know, so I met you doing this Yahoo thing, and then and you did one season with it, and yeah. I'm just kind of wondering like what it like how that was for you, and if it didn't get picked up or yeah. the like, I don't know. Is that okay to talk yeah, about? Absolutely. Let's talk about it because it's it's um, I don't want to resist anything that feels like too taboo. Uh, it's part yeah. of my healing process. Yeah. So yeah, let's do it. In, in terms of the Dear Men show and, and the one season that um, that we had, I've had to redefine my my what I think is success and what I think is failure as it relates to this show in particular, mm-hmm. right? Because on one side, yes, it wasn't picked up for season two. Perhaps it didn't, it didn't get the views that I wanted it to, to get. Um, it didn't take off in the way that I envisioned it would take off, but so so in in some ways that you can consider that failure. But for me, it was a success in that. Look, I wound up with a show with no experience as a host, right? No experience being in front of the camp. Well, at, at, at least not in that way, at that level. No experience being in front of a camera. Um, you know, I pitched something that they decided to produce that didn't exist before quite frankly, that I didn't have the finances or the resources to do on my own. So from that standpoint, it was very much a success. Um, yeah, and, definitely. And yeah, and so from that standpoint, um, I don't. I, I try to spend my time there. Right? Yeah. Because spending time wishing that it, was, that it would have turned out differently and that so many other things that could have, would have, should have is not productive. And I think when I look back at the show and – and even when just some people, random people come up to me and they're like, hey, you're the guy that did the... I'm like, wow, that... So some yeah. people must have seen it and, if, and and it resonated with some folks. So I try to spend my time there. And, and I just think, generally speaking, when we're looking at failure, um, it's just defining what you think is success. Um, yeah. And sometimes it's just a shift of perspective. I, I like... Um, this is going to sound corny, but I find it very helpful. I, I've just been trying to make the transition... Again, mostly unsuccessfully, but I'm trying to view <clears throat> to replace the word failure with attempt, right? And if I do that, then I'm like, all right, you know, I just made another attempt. Like an attempt, any attempt 
is awesome to me. It's a win, yeah. Um, and, uh, and especially an attempt where I was like actually going all out, which, you know, that, that's how I kind of have made peace with what happened in my book. I know that I went all out and I'm proud of what I did, you know, and, um, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm, I got to that place after a lot of feeling <laughs> angry that yeah. the world didn't, you know, embrace it the way I wanted it to or whatever. But, um, uh, but anyway, that's, that's been pretty But you helpful. wrote it. You wrote yeah, it and yeah. you took, and, and the attempt has to occur first before any failure or success happens, right? Right. And, so, and that's what I had to constantly yeah. remind myself, like, um, the, the tragedy here will be, um, because of one quote unquote failure, no longer making attempts. Right. Right. And that, that would actually be failure. Yeah. Fail, the only true thing, true kind of failure is stopping attempting. Right. So, or not doing, um, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Anyway, that's my, that's my, yeah. Uh, but but Jason, I want to like you. You've just mentioned um, when you're introducing yourself, um, you grew up in the inner. Where which city did you grow up in? I'm, I'm born. Well, I was born in Jersey City, but I was raised. You know, I, I can't even say. I, I'd like to say that I was born in, in New York. And okay. Born and raised a New Yorker because I literally just was born in Jersey City and then came right into Man, New York. You crossed the we're, river. We're living and... in New York. Yeah. <laughs> which which part uh, of New York? But uh, in the Bronx. Uh huh. Yeah. So in Bronx, native. And I've when people ask me where I'm from, I just say New York because I've lived in almost every borough except okay. Staten Island. Uh huh. Um, lived in all the quote unquote cool neighborhoods, whether it's Brooklyn, South Bronx, and I haven't lived in Queens. I have to say that. But yeah. So, so when when you um, made this transition from finance, which is um, Especially by dudes, a highly respected world because yeah. who doesn't respect somebody right. making a lot of money, you know, doing checking the boxes of what our society considers mm-hmm. to be the ultimate sign of success. Um, and, and, you know, we're no exception to that. We're always talking about uh, <laughs> how we hope this podcast blows up our net worth someday. Right. But, um, but when you made that transition to, um, to, to doing what you're doing now, um, I'm curious, like, what like what what are the people that um you grew up with or you know the 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 your friends from when you were coming up mm-hmm. what did they cuz i imagine like a lot of them probably admired you when you were in the finance track was there a different kind of reaction mm-hmm. um from some of your friends when you decided to do this this kind of project that yeah. a lot of people might call soft or whatever absolutely. like what was that like yeah absolutely and and i'll double down on that and say that i'm a product of an immigrant family Mm-hmm. So for an immigrant family, it's you are... Where'd a, your family come from? From the Dominican Republic. Uh-huh. So you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're a financial professional. And so that is the epitome of success. So why would you leave that? Like you are crazy right. to turn your back on that. So that, number one. Number two, I'm also I'm also a dad. So I have a daughter who's now in college. Um, so I had that pressure. I had business school pressure, right? I had just graduated from Stern. As you know, you're an NYU guy, obviously. You know that uh, the the expenses of those schools are, are no are no nothing to scoff at. So when all of that combined, I was like, I'm still leaving my job. Uh, yeah, I had a couple of people tell tell me I was crazy. Uh, my mom was like, well, "You're sure? Are you sure?" But I, at that point, you know, again, I, I wasn't 20 something. I was 30 plus. I kind of knew myself. I had been you know, worked overseas, traveled the world, kind of experienced and checked all those boxes. So for me, it was a no-brainer, even with all of those responsibilities. I I just knew that the time was then um, to make that decision. So it wasn't a hard one. Uh, And I've been lucky. I was lucky to have a close group of friends that 
that supported the decision. Um, at least openly, some yeah. of them might have been like, <laughs> I'm always, shit your I'm always right. like, uh, they, not always, but I, but I sometimes think about like, um, you know, a lot of my friends are like, Oh, good podcast, man. Right. I'm, I'm like, I'm worried, like, behind like, my oh, back, this, they're like, this is the softest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who knows, right? You never know, but, but as and long I as have you're, to, you have to make peace with it, right? As long as your moral compass is pointing yeah. in the right direction, that's what matters. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I actually think, like, um, you know, the, it, it really is, um, when you're doing this kind of podcast, both of us, we, we, we have similar kind of vibes of what we're, you know, the, the way we're approaching um, the subject of masculinity. Like the key for us has been just like trying not to be know-it-alls or holier than thou yeah, or whatever, you know, yeah. and, uh, and, and just having kind of a sense of humility and humor about the whole thing. And, yeah. you know, cause it, it is, it's, it's awkward territory to get into because especially with other men, um, they don't want to feel judged about not, you know, being in touch with their emotions. Like right. they don't, they just, a lot of men don't want to go there and they feel like, um, yeah, they feel like implicitly judged if you're even trying to. And you, you guys, I can't remember which episode it was, but you guys touched on this, um, in one of your previous episodes. And I think it's when you, when you decide to not do certain things in your life anymore whether it's not watch the nfl i think that's what it was right mm -hmm. or not eat meat um you do run the risk of coming across as holier than now right, right? because some of your peers aren't doing the same thing so how do you deal with that and and um and it can be this this path that we're choosing to walk can be a very lonely one but as long as you're doing it for yourself i think that's really what matters but it's a very real thing especially for men because as as men, we do to the extent that we're heterosexual men, we do everything that we do for the approval of, of our peers, or for the approval and the acceptance of the women in our lives. And you know, you don't when you're feeling like you're lacking those things, that can be a, a really ego, a, a hard hit to your ego. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking about that. I'm, <laughs> I don't, my mind's all over the place today, but <laughs> I. Uh, I had this funny experience uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, my daughters wanted to paint my toenails. <laughs> and I said, yeah, no. This will be very connected to our uh, advice question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. But, um, and I said, no. And I've been like rethinking that ever since. Like, why did I say no? You know what I mean? Why like, not, I didn't right. say no because like, I don't. Then I was like, I don't even care. Like, I don't care really if my, like, I don't. I don't think I've ever allowed myself to want my toenails to be painted, mm. but like I wouldn't care if it did. It's just a funny thing to be like, oh yeah, like I'm not really thinking about this versus like like in terms of what I want. It's just sort of like, how are other people going to think about this? Mm -hmm. You just gave me PTSD about something, which is that uh, when I was in high school, um, like there was this like there, there was this crew of girls <clears throat> who were really attractive and popular. And uh, I was I was friend friendly with them, and I was at a party, and they convinced me to let them um, like put makeup on me, uh -huh. and like do my hair like a woman or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whatever, because it was like these hot girls are doing They're this to touch me. me. I'm That's like, cool. yeah. I'm like, oh. I just said you do everything. <laughs> exactly. You do for these yeah, yeah, there you go. Like, right. <laughs> and um, and and they were like, yeah, yeah, you know, like talking a big game about how it showed how vulnerable and cool I was. Mm -hmm. to, wow, that's to, pretty to be progressive. And yeah, well, 90s, I grew up. Right. I grew up in a very. Uh, I grew up basically in the Park Slope of Boston, like the most. Actually, I grew up in in um, 
a, a very Dominican neighborhood, oh. and um, Boston is very pro-Dominican because oh of God. David Ortiz yeah. and Pedro Martinez. Yeah. But uh, but um, but a very progressive, um, diverse part of Boston where where that kind of thing was. <laughs> the wokeness was a thing before <laughs> wokeness existed. But um, but anyway, of course, like um, they were acting all cool about it, and then like uh, a week later like this photo that they had taken was like circulated all over yeah. school and, and nowadays, I was like, Oh, look yeah. at this bitch. Like, dressed <laughs> up. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I think, I think I would be scared if my daughter tried, I have, I have a daughter. She's not old enough to paint my toes yet. She's seven months, but, uh, or if my son who's two and a half tried to paint my toenails, I think I'd be like, no, nah, I'll, I'll pass on that one. Does he ever paint his, uh, his fingernails? Uh, no, but toenails? Maybe we should just go into the... Yeah, let's go into... Yeah, because this is like very relevant. Okay. Okay. I'm going to read the question. Um, Yeah, and then we'll we'll discuss it. Hey, man. I'm having an issue with my in-laws that I'm hoping you can help me with. My wife and I are both 35, have been married for five years, and have a four-year-old son. My wife and I both proudly identify as feminists and want to raise our son in a way that is consistent with our values. Among other things... This means allowing him more flexibility in deciding who he wants to be, how he wants to dress, what he gets to play with. I know he's young, but we support him in expressing a broad range of feelings and are trying to set a precedent now so that he knows it's okay when he's older. As a result, sometimes he chooses things that other boys may not choose. He might wear pink or purple. His hair is long because he likes it that way. He has trucks and balls, but also likes to play with a baby. This is not weird for our group of friends, and my parents are very chill and open-minded. My wife, however, is from Georgia and has always been the black sheep of her family. Her parents are uncomfortable about how we're raising our son, and her dad, in particular, seems very put off by it. He often expresses this to me, more so than to his daughter, although she is in earshot, sometimes by saying things to me like, you're going to have to toughen up that boy, sometimes by asking him if he really wants to wear his hair like that or if, or if he wants to wear a particular shirt. It really grates on me and my wife. Do I just let it go, or is this important enough to stand up for? Signed. First Avenue feminist. It's funny because <laughs> I have Avenue. one of my um, good friends. I won't say who it is to protect his anonymity, but yeah. he uh, he he has a, a father-in-law from a very conservative Southern uh, state who um, got really. I mean, he gets angry about a lot of ways that they raise their kid, but particularly their son was wearing a pink Red Sox hat, and he was like, "No way is my grandson going to wear a pink Red Sox wow. hat." But um, <clears throat> but this also just um. Just a lot uh, of stuff in here yeah. um, connects to stuff I'm going through now as a as a father of young young children, a boy and a girl, right? So first first I have my son, he's almost three now, and um, and it's interesting. Um, my first thought when my daughter was born was, um, uh, oh, we could save a lot of money just give her all the hand me downs for my son, and. Um, and I have to admit, like, we've gotten a bunch of dresses as, as gifts. Every time she wears a dress, I'm like, oh, you look so cute. And, the, and, and you know, I'm just admitting this. I'm just yeah, throwing yeah. this out there. Like, I'm not proud of it or anything. But I have to admit, like, I really like um, when I like the way that she looks in a dress. It just, it, it, it touches me in a way that, like, it doesn't when she's wearing, like. A little girl. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. So, I'm just yeah. saying that I, I, I empathize with, with the uh, the questioner and, and that, that, and, and, uh, his partner. But I also, there's a part of me that I understand where the, 
even if I don't align at all, it sounds like this guy yeah. might be kind of Trumpy, and I don't align with that. <laughs> but I understand on some level, really quick to jump to <laughs> some of the uh, the impulse of where the parents are coming to mm-hmm. from uh, coming from as well. So, Jason, your your daughter is uh, you said she's eighteen. She's seventeen. Seventeen. Mm-hmm. And are you planning on having any other kids? Or yeah, I, yeah? I do. I actually. Uh, can't wait for the day that I have a son, right? Yeah. Like with all this new knowledge. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I wonder what kind of dad I'd be to a son. Uh, but I'm going to start with where you just left off. I think it's, it is it is very much a situation where we all have to agree and accept the fact that we've been socialized and we have these traditional masculine norms ingrained in us. And it's not about completely brainwashing ourselves or hypnotizing ourselves out of that thinking. Uh, it's just evolving it, right? It's not about doing away with kind of the traditional masculine norms. It's like it's exploring and examining what what does it look like from here. So going to his point, I mean, I understand his point and his frustration. I would say, first of all, uh, and I'm never one for advice, right? Like this is to your point about coming across as holier than thou. I'm still struggling with this stuff. Yeah. But um, first and foremost, it's your family, right? And you're, it's you, your wife, and your child. And you do what you think is best for your nuclear family. Everything else and everyone else is extra. uh, And it's just a spectator from that standpoint. Number two, it's have a conversation and stand up for it. You know, that's something that you definitely stand up to. I don't care who it is. Mm -hmm. Um, You got to set those boundaries. But I I, and we were just talking about this before, Avi. It, It really goes down to the root of this thing that I'm trying to examine, which is do we really need rites of passage? right, for men and for boys to usher them into manhood. And and what I mean by that is not necessarily saying don't, let's not, as men who are raising uh, boys, let's not teach them the ways of manhood and how to be good stand-up individuals, but things like the gender reveal, right, and having to kind of do the blue versus the pink and, and, and essentially before they're even born, um, socializing them in that way and then socializing the community that's going to raise them in that way. Do we really need that, right? Do we really need uh, the, the well, boys have to go to swim class and soccer practice and, and girls have to go to ballet practice, right? Like, what if your kid wants to go to ballet practice? Right. That's was, actually, that's a, go ahead. No. no, I was just going to say, I was the nutcracker prince in yeah. elementary school, like, <laughs> and I won awards and I'm pretty happy about that and proud about that. So the point is, is that it's not about you know, those boxes that exist that we're raising our children in, we are uniquely positioned to kind of examine them and break them and break out of that. Um, But I know that it's hard, right? So I say that it is our job to protect that, but it's also hard and I understand that. I think the other thing is like, um, we can't force our kids to, like, if my son likes trucks, I can't be like, nah, no trucks, man. Only, only dolls. You know I, have, what I, mean? I have three um, daughters. We bought lots of balls and stuff, and uh, and cars and trucks. They're so uninterested in that, and stuff. they they don't care at all. They're yeah. like totally unathletic. But that's the they point. wear dresses. Yeah. They like yeah. and like they they came to that, and I was like, okay, I guess that's it. I think that's the answer. Yeah. It's it's let's let our kids maroon and figure it out on their on their own. But I think I think actually an important distinction though to make is um, as as parents, if we want to commit to uh to breaking out of the the this like socialization stuff of of socialization of you know boys being this way girls being this way we at least have to give the options right <clears throat> i think too many parents just automatically go to sports for boys and don't even consider the option of ballet mm-hmm. gymnastics the arts 
right, or like, the arts or like singing or or dance or that there because yeah. we even have like uh, there are different gendered ways of movement, right? So it's like, you know, that's awesome that you did ballet, but my girls did ballet too, and there's always like one boy, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> so right. like that that it's not even like made a, that you could move your body in those ways instead of doing you know. But I think I think that's a great point. Like though. another. Just another thing, though, that um, I'm just thinking out loud here, you know, and again, my kids are young. I'm not going to have to, like, face the activity wars until they're probably five or so. But, um, but like, uh, you know, if let's say there's a uh, I want my son to at least be open minded about doing ballet. But then he goes to a ballet class, gets clowned by the girls for being the only boy then gets clowned by his male friends. Yeah. His male friends, his five-year-old types <laughs> in the playground yeah. <laughs> for uh, for doing ballet, um, and he's going to want to quit based on that. And I guess, I guess, like to some degree, I say that from personal experience. I think, um, like, I my mom did enroll me in the arts as a kid, but um, it's not like I got made fun of for doing stuff in the arts. But I knew that where you got your respect was by being good at sports as a boy, and so I. I quit piano, for example, because I was like, I'm, I'm an a, a, I hate practicing, and B, even if I did practice, I'm gonna get no love from my male friends for this. I'm not gonna get any ladies, uh, you know, or popularity from this. So fuck it, you know. And um, and I think I don't know. That's just like another thing that I think I will have to struggle with down yeah. the road of like, if there's resistance, how much of the resistance is socialized resistance? Yeah. You know what I mean? So these things are so complicated. Yeah, yeah. It's such a thorny... You, and um, you don't have that much control, I no. think. Right. No. But speaking of like the activity wars and stuff, I was so committed to this that with my oldest daughter, she was two and a half, and I enrolled her in like two-and-a-half-year-old soccer with the kids, and she used to pick up the soccer balls and pretend they were babies, and she, <laughs> she didn't want to kick them. And like, so it was like, there's something a little hardwired right, about right. like That's you know who, who your kid is that you just have to respect, and I stopped, I stopped pushing her yeah. on that. I, wanna, I, I do want to make sure that um, both of my kids stick to at least one um sport though like yeah. and i want i want them to choose any sport they want like p- could be water polo for all i care you but like, stick to i want i want there to be one sport and ideally one art thing too but we'll, we'll yeah. see what, i'm not going to be too heavy-handed the sport thing because um because i think that it's um it's too easy to become like sedentary and passive and um and uh and not be in your body mm. and i think like uh for me as a kid, even though I did play sports, I was in my head all the time. And I think there's something very like fruitful about being, just being in your yeah. body. And I don't know. Um, yeah, but I, anyway. thought, I thought you were going to say something else. I thought you were going to talk about the camaraderie of it. That that actually, that, that is, that is, you're right. That, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. That, yeah. that is the other thing. But that, I think. that's a good point. Being in your body and being in tune with that at an early age is important. Yeah. And, and yeah. being a part of it. Especially now in the age where everyone has tablets and phones yeah. and you know, they're like, not they're not outside playing right. like sports we are like one of the only things yeah. where you can i mean i still run with my my phone is talking to me while i'm running <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah i'm can i steer this in a slightly different direction and i'm a little i feel like i'm putting myself out there I, you're welcome to call me out on this because i have mixed feelings about it but like i i don't really call myself a feminist I was sort of struck by this guy self-identifying as a, as a feminist, and I just wanted to talk about that 
for a moment. You're I don't the, know. You're not the only one. There are a lot yeah. of men out there that are just like, this is not, it's not my movie. Doesn't feel like it's my term or something right, like right. that. It's, Even though there's nothing about feminism that I don't uh, right. co-sign. They consider themselves supportive of the movement, and yeah. of the, but they're, you know, it's just not my label to adopt. I guess I, I wonder what it would be like if men did, if men called themselves feminists. Uh, it sounds that seems like a positive why, thing why, potentially. What, what's the hesitation? Do you think? Um, for you to call yourself a feminist. I think there's. I think that there's mixed things about it. I think on the one hand, it does. It sounds like something that's in like the. It's in the. It's a women's movement, so it's not really about me. I'm just mm. like a supporter, and then there's like there is a part of me that's like that's uh like the middle schooler in me would like use slurs that I don't want to put say on the air <laughs> about like what it says about me if I called myself a feminist you know what I mean even uh, the word sounds like you know, feminine like almost. I'm feminine yeah. but that, <laughs> that I mean that's that's I consider myself a feminist and and I and I do think that the movement is about me um, yeah. not because I'm trying to appropriate uh, their 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 movement right but I do think that to be a feminist as a man means that you acknowledge that you've had privilege yeah. and that you have to be part of the solution, right? Um, whether it's, you know, going back to the women's suffrage movement or even just today, what I like about today's feminist movement or the current wave of feminism is that it's, it's in some ways, it, it does hold men accountable to the behaviors that we've exhibited over centuries. So calling yourself a feminist is not necessarily saying that you are emasculating yourself in my opinion right it's not yeah. you're not taking anything away from your manhood and masculinity you're saying that you have been complicit as a man right not you as an individual but your manhood and the way you've been taught that has been complicit in the oppression of women and, and fem femininity as it were um so as a feminist you are an active ally in that or a, an active accomplice in that i think you're i mean you're right that there's something um so for me it's about including Mm -hmm. Not necessarily bifurcating. Yeah, I and I I like that. And then I'm just thinking about, you know, what's it is hard. It's hard to like what feels emasculating about it is not really calling yourself feminine. It's really that like there are a lot of feminists who like, and Twitter is not the place to like draw conclusions. Oh, but yeah. that, but like, you know, sometimes people are just like, ugh, men. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's like I don't want to be someone. I guess I do sort of feel that way. But like, it's like it's like. uh setting yourself on fire well, or something like yeah. that. You and know it, what I mean? It is, like important. Yourself. it is important to note that like a tiny, tiny percentage of people feel that way yeah. and express themselves that way on Twitter. But because it's, it feels so hurtful when you see it, you think it's like and hugely predominant and like tons of people are talking that way. Yeah. About yeah. It. And, and but, you're looking at your phone. So you like somehow think it's about you, even right, though they're not right. talking about you. Yeah. But, um, and, and, you know, and I think like sometimes I have the same gut reaction and people are like, Oh, white people, even though I agree, white people behave <laughs> ridiculously all the time. <laughs> but um, but I think um, I think uh, like there, what you're getting at is um, kind of ties back to what I was getting at with Jason in the beginning of the conversation about um, feeling this sense of uh, of like not even guilt, but just of this sense that like you are in other people's eyes the bad guy yeah. because because you're a man or in your case because you're a man of color and people are afraid of you walking down the street whatever and um and there's something and again if someone asked me not on this podcast where my whole point is to try to be as honest and and self uh 
scrutinizing as possible. If someone asked me in any other setting, are you a feminist? I would just say yes. And yeah, I, and, me and, too. I, and I, and I <laughs> am, and I am, but I'm, but I am, you're, you, you prompted me to share my real feelings about it, which do make me slightly uneasy. I think the reason why it makes me uneasy is because like, it's hard for me to separate that word from a feeling like, Oh, well I'm anti-man or whatever. And yeah. I, and, and, and it's not that feminism is not it's about not being anti-man exactly. at all. Right. I but, don't think I've experienced <laughs> feminism in its truest form, right? Because there's extreme forms of feminism, sure. of course, right? But I don't think I've experienced feminism in its truest form that has been anti-masculine, yeah, right? I think it's always been inclusive. And, I'm, and, maybe and same I'm, thing with uh, people calling out white supremacy. That's, yeah. It's not anti-white. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's just pro-human. Human. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, but uh, anyway. Well, no, I mean, you know what it is? It's like, uh, it just makes me think of like, um, like if I were gonna, I wouldn't. I if someone asked me, "Am I a feminist?" I would say yes. But like, would I advertise myself that way? Mm. Um, like, would I put it in my bio? Um, I'm not sure I would. And similarly, like, I guess because I was on Twitter before we started this, and like some people's Twitter bios, um, it's always women who are like, "My pronoun is she/her" mm-hmm. or the like they/them. Mm-hmm. And and then every now and then you'll see a man who's like my pronouns are he him or whatever mm-hmm. and like I don't I don't do that mm-hmm. and I've just been like it's just been on my mind lately like should I what would it mean for me if I started to do that like mm-hmm. I think it's also a lot of a lot of people that use that the term or these qualifiers yeah. don't even know what they mean right mm-hmm. so like that's full stop a lot of yeah. people are kind of just yeah. on social media it just sounds sexy I'm yeah. gonna say I'm a feminist right um, or even with the pronouns thing yeah. but for me it's it's really about uh, your your level of your your how much do you feel included or part of advocating for these groups of people whether it's the lgbtq community or women right like do you feel like for me saying that i'm a feminist or for me using or or uh, highlighting my pronouns is my way of saying i'm with you Mm -hmm. as opposed to saying you know this is just another movement that is or may may or may not be for me right Right. like this is just my form of being an accomplice right Different than being an ally, right? An accomplice says, I'm walking with you here, as opposed to an ally says, you go first and I'll be there with you, mm-hmm. but you got to go first. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's, that's just kind of my... I think um, like the pronoun, uh, you know, all of these things I intellectually agree with. And again, I've been socialized for 38 years to uh, project being tough even though i don't actually feel tough <laughs> to project being um uh you know uh j- just to build build walls against uh around myself and and around like feeling vulnerable and having you know visible feelings and um and so I, you know i i do still struggle with like uh i totally agree that um if i were to list my pronoun um you know in my bio it's it's just about being generous towards other people and making them feel more welcomed and and safe that's all yeah. it is yeah. like that, that it it's a generous and you know basically brave act but it feels um and it's a selfless act and it's because a self- you don't yeah. need it for yourself but you know that someone perhaps reading your bio might feel much more welcomed or get the impression that you would understand them a little bit better. I mean, I think totally. that's, that's, that should be part of new masculinity in my, yeah. my mm-hmm. opinion, right? It's mm-hmm. this idea of being inclusive, 
whether it, whether or not you identify it with it directly. Well, but what's so tricky about it, and I think the reason why you know I still am not putting it in my bio, um, not consciously, this mm-hmm. is all unconscious, but I'm still not putting it in my bio because, on some level, I feel like uh, it's it's something other than an act of generosity and inclusiveness. It's like it's a it's belittlement like, of it, myself, or like it's a or or it's just like it's an amount. I don't know. Do you there's think it's that, too proximate? Do you think it's too, the proximity to being feminine is too close? Like that, you, the act of you. It's doing a that? feminine thing to say. These mm-hmm. are my pronouns. The feminine thing to even like, like, is it even a question? Obviously, yeah. I'm a dude. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's a fe- like, like. I'm just laughing at. Like, no, but it's you're true. articulating that voice. Yeah, it's true I know though, that right? Because yeah. and 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 I think what it boils down to is like, um, uh, you know, again, this this. This is a corny formulation, but I think there's something true about it. Like the most masculine people in my mind are the least self-conscious about their masculinity. They just know they're men. Mm -hmm. They feel totally fine about being a man and they're not threatened at all by expressing their feelings, going to therapy if they need therapy, listing their pronoun if they Mm -hmm. need a pronoun, doing ballet if they want to do ballet. You know what I mean? Those are obviously the most secure men. (laughs) I mean, it just touches this is I I'm I'm curious how long can we talk about this? Because it touches like a lot of different things. I mean, one, there's also like uh virtue signaling, which is such a turnoff, and I'm like never a joiner to anything. Mm-hmm. So it's like, am I just saying I'm like a quote unquote good right. guy by putting up my pronouns? Like <laughs> that's that's a great point. I think the virtue signaling thing though, it's it's so interesting. It's like again, out of fear of sounding holier than thou, we often just stay silent and Right. And are like complicit in bad things happening. You, you know don't I mean? seem so hung up on this. It's not like no, a, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> because it's to your point. I think it's it's your who are you and who who are, how comfortable are you in your identity, and you know it's also you know you understand that I'm I'm I have multiple identities that I'm that I walk with and I show up in the world on a daily basis. Um, so so for me, the call it quote code switching isn't as much of a conscious thing. It's just like I just I'm just being in this moment, um, but no, I don't think it's it's a big thing. I you know I have friends in the LGBTQ community. I have trans friends, and I've never felt uncomfortable in their presence. You know whether it's showing affection by way of hugging or, or what have you. I've never felt uncomfortable in that in that space. So for me, it's it's just not a thing. Did was it ever a thing like like when you were younger? Did you feel less comfortable around those things? Or like, for example, like yeah. you said, you have multiple identities. Like mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I mean, another thing I'm sure at some points in your life you've had to deal with is somebody saying you're not acting black enough, or you're acting too black, or no, you're not you know, acting. What I, what I do enough. get, yeah. what I do get yeah. is I like to dress a certain way. Yeah, right? I like yeah, to, you're a good dresser. I love that. <laughs> right, and it's just my thing. Yeah, and for whatever reason, men cis straight men associate dressing well and wearing your pants that fit uh-huh. to that being gay right and so i've gotten that a lot it's just like oh are you gay and i've i've even gotten that from ex partners of mine it's like why do you care so much about your appearance and i'm like well there's a difference between being metro right metrosexual yeah. Yeah, yeah. where it's just like you're you got to file your nails and all that um and 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 caring about your appearance and so i care about my appearance and the way i dress and all that because it speaks to the level of care that i take uh in my own personal life and then just the, the care that i'm going to take in in caring for the people that i love that's just my expression of that yeah. um but but that's kind of what i've struggled with and it's such a funny thing i've been thinking about this a lot because um 
like my wife for my birthday last year bought me a uh, <clears throat> a bespoke shirt at like one of the finest high-end shirt makers in the city mm. and i felt so <laughs> self-conscious because i was like i don't know if he's the not- finest he's <laughs> he's the guy that everyone goes to, not, not to shit on you well, he's he's, he's, a, he's shirt. No, no, he makes shirts kidding. for for celebrities he makes shirts for he's movies. the he's the guy he's okay. like the new he's, york guy he's a big it, but anyway like and it's super carl it's super <laughs> expensive to buy one of these shirts and um i like when i got she gave me this gift certificate to go in and get get the thing custom made, and I was like, and I honestly I wasn't very nice, but I was like, I think you should return this, get something else or whatever, and um and it's fun and and I I got over it and I got it. I actually liked it so much that I got another one, and um and it was a funny thing for me just to think about like even that idea of like not thinking about my appearance is also socialized. Like so I used yeah. to be, I used to be proud like, of myself. Like I don't give a fuck about like clothes. <laughs> like I'm, Makes I'm, no sense, I'm right. a rugged individualist. I'm, you know, like if right. anything, like I, I brainwashed myself into like thinking that it was a badge of like honor to not care. But, mm-hmm. but I realized now like that, that it, clearly part of it was like, I was just socialized to think mm-hmm. that like caring about my appearance yeah. is, um, is a knock it's on feminine. my masculinity. Right, it's feminine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How'd you, how'd you like get, were you always interested in clothes or how'd you get? Um, I mean, my grandfather was a sharply dressed man. Yeah. Um, super sharp, wear like these nice hats and all that. I think it was just, I got it from him and my mom as well. But, uh, but I think again, it just comes to, it comes down to a lot of, and maybe it's my way of overcompensating, to be honest with you. Maybe it's my way of, showing up into a room where traditionally wasn't meant for me to be there, right? Whether it was a corporate boardroom or academic circles or what have you and, and finding ways to disarm people so that they actually heard me and felt me as opposed to just judge me by the way that I looked and showed Mm -hmm. up. So for me, yeah, it was, I'm I'm sure it had something to do with, um, let me make sure that I'm dressed to the nines so that I at least eliminate that barrier of engagement so that then I can, engage in in the in the most purest forms so so maybe perhaps but Mm -hmm. it it wasn't um and now i just enjoy i just enjoy whether i'm wearing ripped jeans or i'm wearing a suit i just enjoy um looking good i feel like i know where it's a tangent but i feel like it's actually really relevant to this kid yeah you know what i mean i it's what makes him feel good well yeah it's about me that's exactly what i was thinking i remember uh so so i um was in therapy for a few years. I haven't been in therapy for, for a few years, but um, I had been in it. And I remember like one of the questions that really threw me for a loop that my therapist asked me was like, what do you want? Mm. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. What do you want? It's like, what do you want? Right? And it's I, a very vulnerable question. Well, it's funny because I just tweeted that this morning. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh it's hilarious. It's so, yeah. so, but, and I was thinking about it, like even just, you know, another question that, that I probably is actually perplexing to a lot of dudes if you really ask them to think about it is like, what do you like, mm-hmm. right? What do you like? Not what do you think people mm-hmm. would like, but wh- not what do, you, what do you think yeah. you should like, but what do you like? You know what I mean? And um, it's such a hard question, I think, to answer because for some, I mean, it's not just a thing for men, but I definitely think men struggle with it. Um, more because we're socialized too, but so much about uh, just conforming and being cool 
um, a, a, along these incredibly rigid rules of like what you're supposed to like that it's like actually kind of hard to answer the question like yeah what do you like what's your thing you know so it's interesting uh, to yeah in light of all that to think about this question but I guess like we always skirt around the um, the actual question that they're asking the actual question Yet again, is the actual question what, is just how to deal with the father how to deal with the father yeah I mean we're all very yeah. I think we we spent a lot of time kind of supporting this guy this feminist in <laughs> in how he's raising his son and I think uh, admire admire what you're trying to do in terms of how you raise your son but you're really asking a manners question mm -hmm. which is what do i how do i confront my in-law about yeah i think you polite you know respectfully pull him to the side and say look you know i respect that you have your views but this is my family and this is you know between as long as you have the buy-in his wife's buy-in as yeah. long as they're uh, a united front in that i think you confront him in in the most respectful way possible and just say look this is these are the things these are this is what makes me comfortable and this is how I want to raise my family right and um and I would ask that you respect that and I think that is definitely the the correct way to go about it yeah. um but just to play devil's advocate like I'm just trying to imagine like what if actually we we had a question that was in a somewhat similar category um with uh Eamon Ismail um mm -hmm. who the host of uh Man Up the Slate podcast about um, uh, a guy who was getting grief from his parents because he wanted to marry outside of his religion. And I'm just trying to think like, um, I don't know, what if it was something like that was literally like offensive to the person's religion, to the father's re religion? Like, like, let's say like uh, I'm um, so I'm Jewish, right? My my I grew up not religious, but my wife grew up religious Jewish and her parents don't eat pork. Right. And uh, actually, this is kind of kind of awkward. Um, they don't eat sh shellfish either, right? Jews can't eat shellfish. Religious Jews can't eat shellfish, pork. They can't have cheese on meat. They can't have cheeseburgers, right? A lot of they got a lot of rules. Yeah, we were um, at a little like uh, happy hour drink thing at a at a family friend's with with her mother there, and um, they served shrimp, and our son started popping these shrimp. Oh wow! And I felt pretty awkward, and and and. She, you know, her mom was cool about it, but I could tell you that like kind of picked up on she didn't. She doesn't want her grandson um, eating yeah. shrimp. So I don't know. I'm just trying to trying to imagine. Like, uh, I'm not saying that it's a religious thing in this circumstance, yeah. but what if it's like a religion or like a really deeply held cultural value? I'm I think gonna, that yeah. that you're trying. I was just, just yeah. going to say something that might be deeply controversial, but in in my own kind of growing up and and becoming an adult, I realized that the more if I want to be happy and if I want to live in my truth, that means that I'm going to have to let go of a lot of things and a lot of people. And sometimes those people might be family. So I'm not saying that in this case he has to go out and you know, uh, completely excommunicate his, his uh, in-laws. But in this case that you're bringing up where it's a very deeply religious belief, I think, again, that it has to even... In that scenario, it has to be that much more important for you or for the person, for the unit, both the, the husband and the wife, to have a, a common ground and say, this is how we want to raise our children, even before children arrive. you know. And I think that's part of some of the mistakes that young people are making now where they're dating. They're not even asking each other the questions about what are your values and what is important to you in terms of how we're going to raise a family. So that that has to be there. That has to exist. Um, and then, you know, again, respectful boundaries are, are super important. And if it in the case of an extreme where I know... Uh, I have a lot of Nigerian friends, for example, and they're very, very strict in terms of 
the way they take people into their families, et cetera. So like, if that means having to say, you know what, well, my, my, my family and my parents are not going to be an integral part in helping me raise my child, then that's a decision that you need to make. But uh, I don't think anything should get in the way of the way you want to raise your child, whether it's your parents, whether it's your in-laws, whether it's your friends. I, I don't think that's that has no room in terms. And I know it takes a village, but I, I don't think that has anything to do with how you want to raise your child. I mean, I again, I agree. Um, I agree with you. And, you know, one thing. Yeah. I mean, I think the, that the, the family unit, mother, father and children or father, father and children or mother, mother and right, children right. is the. <clears throat> that that is the nucleus and everything else is like an orbiting moon or planet mm-hmm. that like can help out and and you know um be be you know a part of the larger universe Sucks but they may not have a babysitter but <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but um but i think like i you know i just want to also recognize that like um the wife could be let's say the wife well i guess this wife is saying she's the black sheep in her family which kind of indicates to me that she's always felt a little alienated yeah. and maybe not super seen or heard by her parents but um but i'm just i'm just extrapolating like some you know sometimes there could be someone who's unbelievably close with their parents even if they deeply profoundly disagree with them politically culturally religiously and um and that could be hard to just say it's my way or the highway so i'm mm-hmm. i'm just trying to imagine i mean what what i've found um is that even the highest boundaries of uh, connection, religion pro- being the quickest one that comes to mind. A religious person who believes that you know uh, homosexuality is evil can be hard to convince out of that perspective, right? But I think um, I think even someone who's really religious, say, um, if they're your parent and you just respectfully tell them, you know, Dad, I, I love you, I. I respect you in all of these different ways. In this in this regard, I disagree with you, and we're going to have to make our peace with that disagreement. Mm-hmm. I feel like nine times out of ten, even the most religious dad will accept that, and 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 eventually come around and be like, okay, you be know, more accepting. Sure. Um, and if they're not, if they're in that one percent that's just like so hard-hearted about that stuff that, or so holding fast to their, you know. Um, to their culture or religious or, you know, just, you know, moral strictures or whatever, then, then yeah, I guess, um, I guess it's, it's really up to the dad to decide like whether to come back, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and, and change. It's not up the, the, the parent yeah. can't conform to like something mm-hmm. that they disagree with. Yeah. You know? and, and you don't have to be, you're not responsible for the person's reaction. Right. You know what I mean? Like if he's going to be sort of like the, the grandpa is going to be like uptight and grumbly, but like keeping his mouth shut. Um, then like you got what you wanted, right? Cause he's not insulting your kid anymore or insulting you as a parent and, and mm-hmm. setting that boundary is by the way, the pink hat guy did, did, uh, he relented come around and chill he out relented. on that stuff, I think. And, um, but I think, I think, um, I don't know, to me, just like, uh, the, the important thing almost always with these kinds of, issues is is tone and if if you're going to the father-in-law or the father um with uh with a real sense of like trying to be where he's at <laughs> rather than coming from where you are being like you're wrong mm-hmm. 
you dumb, you know, troglodyte backwards person, but just trying to be like where appreciating he's at. like this is unusual for you or like a yeah, conventional empathy. Yeah. Empathy is always yeah. the disarm. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and and yeah. If you're going from that place, um, I yeah, I think that I think that that would disarm him. And and you know, don't bullshit it. Be real about the ways that you appreciate this guy as a father and the the way that his values have also been a positive in your life. Mm-hmm. And I, I think those kind of things will make him feel, I think like parents feel most threatened by this kind of stuff. Cause they worry like if their kid totally flies the coop, did that mean that they were failures as mm-hmm. parents? Cause like mm-hmm. their kid didn't, didn't do any of the stuff that like they <laughs> raised them to, you know, care about, you know? Yeah. And, um, and of course, like it's not the case. Like, Kids, kids can totally love their parents yeah. while just having totally different lifestyles. But, it, but I think parents often feel that way. Like, oh, shoot, yeah. I must have been a failure, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. And, and I do think similarly, like, especially if these people are parenting in a way different from how they were parented, there's just a lot of emotion around that. Like, maybe you, maybe you do have hard feelings about the way you were raised. If she's the black sheep of the family, maybe she feels like she was never really noticed or appreciated. And so there's just a lot of... It's good to recognize how much tension there can be around these interactions when mm-hmm. when your parenting is is being judged, mm-hmm. you know. For sure. Um, so we like to end uh, the podcast by asking our guests for a piece of advice that um, you've heard or read or listened to at some point in your life that has yeah. just stuck with you and been a something you go back to um, throughout your life. So if there's one or two things that come to mind for you, we'd love to hear it. Yeah. Um, one of my mentors once told me that you want to try to make more deposits than you do withdrawals mm-hmm. in your relationships. Um, you want to try to be of service, look to be of service before you look to kind of uh, see what you can get. So that And that applies in business, that applies in relationships, romantic or otherwise. So I always try to go back to that is I always at any conversation that I have with anyone, um, I always try to make sure that I ask what I can, what can I, how can I be of service to you and um, seek ways to be of value to them in whatever way, shape or form. So try to make more deposits than you do withdrawals in your life. I, like I think that would really uh, give my marriage a boost. If I followed, <laughs> <laughs> followed that yeah. And I think it's just, it's, you know, speaking of marriage and love, I think it's just it goes hand in hand. I think love is something that you do. It's a verb. It's an action. You show love. I mean, I know all the love languages and all that, but I think you, you have to actively choose to do and show love daily. And so, you know, it just goes hand in hand. Yeah. Uh, Jason, where can people find you? They can find me on all social platforms at Jason underscore underscore Rosario, R-O-S-A-R-I-O, and at the lives of men. That's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Awesome. And we'll have all those links yeah. in the show notes too. Thanks this so much. Good. Thanks, Thanks for guys. Being here. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right, everyone. That's it for our show this week. If you have a question, you can send it to us at heymanpod at gmail.com or better yet, give us a call. Leave a voicemail at 917-426-4326. You can find us on Instagram or Twitter at heymanpod. And if you have a second, leave us a review, please. Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. Podcasts. We love them. Thanks.